Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Freddie Lansky. Freddie is a serial entrepreneur with one exit and two acquisitions, and we're going to chat about the lessons and stuff he picked up from those. Man, thanks for being on the show today. You're coming in from where, like Mexico or Mexico City now? Yeah, I, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, like the suburbs, and uh, I moved to Mexico City about seven years ago after just being nomadic for five years when I was working on my first business and freelancing, but uh, yeah, just kind of around... 30th birthday, which was about five years ago, six years ago, I, I, I just got tired of moving around constantly. So I ended up with Mexico City as a home base, which is nice. It's very close to the US, but get us all the same benefits and tax benefits, healthcare savings, etc. living abroad. It's interesting. So um, let's kind of start off with the origin story. Now, this is a acquisitions and mergers type of uh, podcast. So you've done so many things. Let's kind of keep it to the acquisitions and mergers. But how did you, uh, I always joke around, say you were born and then now you're on my show. Can you fill in the gap on how you ended up on an acquisitions and mergers podcast? Yeah, well, probably you found me because in 2021, I was looking ferociously to find a business with an SBA loan. I got pre-approved for um, the the loan at different banks and things like that. But uh, at the time, the market was red, red hot. And it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because a lot of those businesses that were selling, especially in, in the internet business space, like, you know, SaaS and e-commerce, let's just say a business that was selling for $2 million in 2021 is now worth a million in 2022, even if the revenue and the profit uh, is the same because this, the, the valuations were so high. So I was kind of going on a podcast free networking, just trying to find this this beloved off-market deal that never happened. I ended up with a much smaller acquisition this year. And then for that reason, I ended up on a lot of podcast interviews, and that's probably how you heard my name. Uh, since then, I've bought a much smaller business off-market. Uh, it's an e-commerce site that teaches people how to resell sneakers. Um, going back to my origin story, I got fired from a bunch of corporate jobs. Um, then I moved to Buenos Aires to just improve my Spanish, and it was there that I had met the first... Well, the word digital nomad didn't exist in 2010, but I guess you could call them proto-digital nomads, people living there with internet businesses and, and <clears throat> a lot of freelancers as well. And so that started giving me ideas of trying to you know, start my own internet business. And I linked up with a friend of mine who was already teaching chess online, finding clients through word of mouth and Craigslist and said, look, there's this new um, website called YouTube that you can just upload videos. Why don't we upload, you know, chess uh, videos and use that to promote your classes. Uh, then we had a website and social media. And um, we started with just uh, selling his time, uh, just selling uh, actual classes on Skype. Um, but then we actually started selling the, the videos themselves and putting the previews of these uh, chess videos on YouTube and hiring other chess masters. And then we ended up moving up to some of the most famous players in the world. And, and we, by the time I had sold that business, uh, we had thousands of courses uh, on, and, and every single 
other company that was doing what we're doing wanted to list our their courses on our website as well. So we worked a lot with affiliates and yeah, we had, uh, we scaled it to low seven figures. Uh, I sold for a mid six figure sum, started another business called points Panda. Um, I acquired a very few small blogs to get the SEO going, but really it was, uh, starting that business from scratch. And the main product on that business was teaching, like a consulting service teaching people how to, um, you know, open the right credit cards and how to transfer their points to get on business class flights uh, for basically free. And that business was going great until COVID hit, basically killed that business. Uh, since then, I've just been working on the SEO side of things, making a little bit of money um, with credit card affiliate sales. And um, yeah, and then, and then I moved to trying to get an acquisition, failed at it. Thank God I failed at it. The market was so uh, over jacked up in 2021. I still hope one day to get a you know, seven-figure business with an SBA loan. Um, you know, now that the market's cooling off, I think that's going to be a project for 2023. Um, right now, I'm just working on getting this business that's uh, trailing 12 is about 50 grand profit on 100K revenue. Uh, my goal is to get it to about 200K profit, sell it for maybe 800K to a million profit. Um, and then I'll have not just one major exit, but two on my back. And I talked with a lot of investors. They said one isn't enough. They said two is the magic number. If you have two good exits from a either starting a business from scratch or from buying one and you had, you know, tripled or quadrupled the profit and the revenue, then investors are willing to talk to you and, and try to do some kind of mix of getting a business, the mix of investors and SBA loan. I, I guess, like I said, it was a blessing in disguise uh, that uh, I, I, the market was just insane in 2021. I mean, people were paying a million dollars for a business that was doing a hundred K net profit. The numbers made no sense. I mean, it was, the world was upside down. People were paying more for passive investments uh, than they were for active ones, right? So then, like, literally all my friends had just stopped working because they're like, well, I can make more money in crypto and stock trading and literally just doing nothing than to invest and deploy that capital into um, an active business because the multiples were so high, right? Like, why are you going to pay a 7 or 8x multiple on a business that takes tons of time to run, when you could um, make the same amount of money on a, on a single family unit of real estate, right? It didn't make any sense. But anyway, upside down world is over. The last few months, the whole market's deflated and things are a little bit back to normal. So everybody's gone back to work, apparently, doing productive things. <laughs> yeah. I actually think it's going to come down a little bit. For the old, you know, the space you were talking about is like software, uh SaaS websites and stuff they were overpriced for a while and uh, i haven't looked at them and kind of just ignored them because of, they were overpriced um been focused on the kind of what i refer to, to as boring companies right brick and mortar mom and pop businesses that are doing you know seven figures um because those still held to a multiple of 3x you know between 1x and 3x depending on the industry there were a few outliers there that were a little bit higher than that um Right now, let's just jump back into, let's talk about your exit for a little bit. What was the biggest lesson you learned from the exit? Was there anything you would have done different when you, you know, sold the, the, uh, the chess company to your, I think you sold that one to your partner, right? Well, like most people that sell, yeah, my, my partner bought me out and then mm -hmm. he ended up selling to a much bigger company. So in chess, a lot of businesses, especially in Europe, they're not actually profitable. They're just like funded by these like billionaires that do these massive nine figure funds and they just... 
basically they make money by like getting money from those funds or whatever. And so <clears throat> I sold to him, he sold to a bigger company and then he ended up working for that company. Um, so he got a little bit more than I did or not. I'm not really sure how much he got, but he also had to continue working in the chess industry. And my partner was the chess player. I enjoy playing chess, but it's not like my, my passion like it was for him. I was ready to move on to something else. I did it for eight years, right? Made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, probably the biggest thing I would have done is, is prepared the business uh, to, to be sold, right? Or, or at least, I don't know, I, was, I wouldn't say like things were in a bad terms with my partner, but like things were getting a little bit tense because he had quit his corporate job about two years earlier. And he was really trying to grind on this 50, 60 hours a week. And, you know, I'm not lazy by any means, but I have other hobbies. I was trying to, you know, I, he has a family wife and kids and, and none have really other things going on. He just wanted to narrow focus on the business. And um, <clears throat> I had other things going on. So it ended up that he was working a lot harder than I was and a lot more than I was. And, I think rather than just asking him to buy me out or that I didn't want to work there anymore, I probably should have approached it more from a look, you know, I don't want to work this hard and I want to sell the business. Let's focus on, you know, cutting down the expenses while squeezing out the revenue, getting rid of anything optional we don't need. And then maybe at getting that, you know, net profit, you know, cause the, that was another thing that was frustrating is the profit was, trailing at the peak at around a little over 300k on you know 1.2 million in revenue but the last two years i was there it was just stuck at about 200k net profit and we had disagreements in why it was there and things weren't bad by any means we're both making 100k a year it's great uh mine tax-free living abroad in, in mexico so um but it's still from a like ego or or selling standpoint let's say you know, I still had this idea that we could get it up, you know, but at, at that point, I was just ready to check out. And I think that was a huge mistake, right? Because if we had just spent a couple of months cutting things down, we probably could have gotten the net profit from 200k to 300k, maybe sell for a little over a million, you know, and then, you know, for my half, I would have ended up getting close to double of what I got on the exit. Um, but I think every um, person who exits always feels that way. I got a great multiple six-figure cash offer from my partner. He ended up with a great exit as well. I had a coach at the time training me on keeping the peace. I did so many podcasts on that, on making sure things don't get ugly during that exit and start blaming one another for this and that. And we're still good friends. We talk from time to time. And, and that's really important as well as if you have a partner and you're trying to exit you know, you really, it's, 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 you know, you gotta be really careful in the breakup because if things get ugly, the business is going to tank and everyone's going to end up with nothing, right? You need to swallow your ego, swallow whatever, um, what's the right word for it? Uh, <laughs> you know, issues that you think you may have, like it's, it doesn't matter at that point. The point is like, all right, we're going to sell, you're either going to order buy me out, buy you out. Let's just keep the peace, focus on the business and, that was a really good experience for me, uh, taught me a lot. And yeah, you know, I feel everybody feels they should have gotten more on their first exit, but I'm still proud of, of my accomplishments. And that's the only thing I, I might have done different is just prepare to sell it. And instead of having a partner buy you out, um, especially in, in, in the internet business market, you're probably better off selling in a brokerage, even if a brokerage takes 10 or 15%. The market it's cooled off a bit, but it's still really, really hot right now. 
um, from a seller's perspective. It used to be like two or three years ago that finding a buyer for an internet business was a giant pain in the butt. It was always a, um, a buyer's market, right? So they had a lot more leverage. Um, it was a lot more likely that they would accept an SBA loan. Now, if you try to do SBA loan to buy an internet business, they're going to laugh you out the door. Even now in 2022, if the market cooled off, they're like, they have all these funds that are just paying cash, et cetera. You could sell an internet business within three to six weeks where it used to take three to six months, right? Um, so if you are going to accept the buyout or considering uh, buying out your partner, I would definitely get a couple of valuations from websites such as Empire Flippers or Quiet Light Brokerage, FE International, WebsiteClosers.com. Those are the four big ones. Flippa, obviously, as well. They Flippa's more for smaller businesses or less vetted businesses, whereas those other first four I mentioned are more for um, vetted internet businesses. They turn down a lot as well and get a valuation and make sure if you are going to get a buyout, it makes sense. And probably it, you're probably better off convincing the partner to just sell with you, cutting down the expenses down to the wire and getting a good buy, uh, a buyout from a, a separate uh, buyer. But on the other hand, if you have your partner buy you out, I mean, from the time I told him, until that time that multiple six figure chick check came in, it's only about two and a half to three months with no earnout, no nonsense, no nothing, just a big fat check. So if you are trying to get a quick exit, it might make sense for you. Um, but uh, you know, that's kind of, kind of <laughs> jump in a couple different topics. Yeah. But figure yeah, out what your right. options are, I think would be the main, main thing. Right. I think the biggest lesson there is, uh, you know, you think divorces are bad. Wait until you decide to sell a business with partners involved, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I've done, I've done it uh, not once but twice, and the last one was really ugly. We, uh, you know, it just one of those started off with he said, she said things. Everybody, you know, acquisition, you know, acquisitions that you know you're doing this and I'm not doing this, and it just got ugly, and um, you know, those men, those relationships are just hard to, to restore afterwards. You know, I'm still talking to the guy and we still consider our friends, but there, you know, there's some resentment because of some of the things that were said and done along that process. And, uh, you know, by both parties, I, I, I won't say I wasn't, wasn't in the wrong. Uh, I can get pretty spiteful when you start calling me names and, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, that said that there's a very valuable lesson there is like when you're ready to exit, there's a conversation that needs to be had with that partner get them aligned with that and then the huge process of going through it um i can see in the software space having a broker would be intelligent because it's a multiple offer scenario right you're going to have multiple people come up make offers you might even get a decent bidding process going um depending on how you do that um in the brick and mortar space i can see where it doesn't make nearly as much sense because the buyers there's less buy there's fewer buyers and the buyers are more you know in tune with they want a very specific thing to, to occur um and on your point on this it's a small business administration i know why the software companies are not interested in that the process is i just had one of the guys here on you know that, that that's all he does is sba loans i had him on here the process of closing one is a lot of scrutiny uh, for the software company, their books, the background, the uh, SBA almost does their own full due diligence, and mm. they're gonna they're gonna 
ask for things and want things a certain way that software companies don't think they right. have to do because they've got other people who are willing to pay cash without having to do all that stuff. Exactly. So, but uh, not impossible. Uh, the other thing is don't ever think you're going to close a software company. I mean, a SBA loan in less than 90 days. I've never heard of it done. Yeah. Um, this guy says he's done one in short. You know, the guy that that's all he does for a living closes, you know, five, six a month. He says, oh, yeah, I've closed them less than 90 days. But, you know, if you look at it, if you look at some of the ones we talked about, one or two of the ones he closed in less than 90 days, the guy had already failed at two other SBA loans. So he had everything ready. It was just his a lot of people don't know that SBA loans are not just the government back. The local bank is the deciding factor. It's just an insurance policy by the uh, yeah. small business administration. So the previous two small business, the banks had told him, no, he knew exactly what he needed to have in place. And so he, he came really well prepared. Um, but that yeah. closing process is brutal. And they want you to sign, yeah. you know, you're going to have all kinds of personal guarantees. There's no such thing as an SBA loan without personal guarantees. So, uh, you know, they want the rights to your first child and just, you, you name it, it's crazy. But, uh, yeah. if you, you know, the reason people do it is it's, you know, 10% down up to $5 million. Uh, and it's, yeah, with, it, thir- it's with 30 years to pay it off. <laughs> 30 no years. It's going to give you 30 years. At a 30 years. If there's period. real estate involved, it's actually 10 years or something less than that. Oh, if you, right, if, you, right, if yeah. real estate doesn't well, make still up it, 10, 10 years, I mean, it's a long time. Yeah. It's actually, the debt servicing makes it more manageable. So, you know, we were talking a little bit about the, uh, before the show that you're at, you, you've got, you grew, you did a, the, uh, I'm going to get this wrong. It's uh, points Panda. Is that right? That's right. Ah, mm-hmm. I got it right. So points Panda, you actually kind of grew from scratch, but you, you did some acquisition for growth there. You bought tiny ones, tiny yeah. ones. We're talking about like some mom and pop blogs that, they had great SEO. They weren't selling anything, but they had lots of backlinks and top-ranked articles. And I managed to get two of these in late 2019, early 2020, just before COVID hit. And then I just jumped ship on the project. Um, but that's a really good strategy as well. If there are some smaller blogs in your space and they have great backlinks and they have, you know, you're acquiring the articles and everything. And, you know, I paid one, I think it was about four or $5,000 for a website that had maybe 200 articles. And it also included about 25 articles that were reviews of airline business class seats. And those are really valuable because you actually have to take the long distance business class product in order to properly um, be able to do that blog article. Otherwise it's just not going to come out as good. Like people want to see photos of the seats and the amenity kit and the food and the, the entertainment system and so on. And those were really valuable. And some of them, like, like it was on page one for Emirates business class. It was ranking like number seven on page one on Google. I'm like, wow, this is a really valuable keyword. So I had a, two of those and yeah, it worked like a charm. I just 301 redirected it to points Panda jacked up the, the, the juice a little bit. The issue was, but the main product that was making a few grand a month was my consulting service, right? People were paying me about $1,500 a year for unlimited advice about which credit cards to open, which credit cards to close. For anyone listening that's not in the U.S., in the U.S., we have really, really profitable credit cards with massive sign-up bonuses equal to thousands of dollars worth of um, airline tickets or hotel points or whatever it is for just one credit card sign up, as long as you have very good credit. Um, And so I teach people who have this very good credit to start taking advantage of these and opening and closing the cards and, and teaching them how to use these points 
um, to get business class flights by transferring them to airlines instead of using a portal or a statement credit, right? So uh, you say 100,000 Amex or Chase points might only be worth $1,000 to wipe off a statement credit. But if you transfer it to certain hotels and airlines, you could get four or $5,000 in value, right? And uh, it was going great until COVID hit. I had 30 clients in February 2020. By April 2020, I had zero. Um, and it stayed that way until very, very recently. It was only the last few months, like early 2022, people started. Because it wasn't just domestic travel. The main value of that service was long distance international travel, which really didn't come back until early this year. It was was long. It was a long winter. <laughs> it lasted almost two years, but it started to come back now. And then I also made money um, selling credit cards, like through affiliate links, but it's not my main focus right now. It lost a lot of money in 2020, a little bit of money in 2021 and just recently became profitable. Uh, the traffic continues to grow and long-term I, I still have i I'm not going to use the P word, uh, that you guys always use in buying and selling businesses, the potential word, right? That just hits everybody's <laughs> eye, eye rolling in real estate, brick and mortar or internet. It's like you go to one of those houses, all the windows are bashed in. It's like, oh, it's got so much potential, right? But I, I do think Quizpad's got a lot of potential like, right now. The, the equivalent of the blind date, but they've got a great personality. <laughs> yeah, 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 the personality. PointsPad has a great, it's been losing money, but it's got a great, well, actually it's not true. The last few months it's been doing a grand or two of profit, but it's going to take, it's going to take years for, for me to pay back the money I lost in 2020 because the, the rug got pulled so fast on the travel industry. I was spending about three, four grand a month on SEO and writers, video editors, graphics. I had a whole operation going saying, you know, and it was great because I was also spending a few grand, making a few grand a month on uh, the points consulting, but the points consulting got pulled under the rug. Um, so now I'm just making a few hundred dollars a month in advertising. And I said, okay, well, this is, April 2020, I, I think by June 2020, they'll have this sorted out, right? Then it's like August 2020, not sorted out at all. No one's traveling international. And then I finally cut it down to basically four or five grand a month in expense to about a grand a month in expense. Um, but by then it was too late. I had already lost about 40 grand in the business um, on false expectations that the international travel would recover much more quickly than it did. Um, then it basically broke even in 2021, only lost a few grand, which was I'm happy with because the traffic grew tremendously. And yeah, now I'm just focusing on this new business I bought, the sneaker reselling business that's been tra trailing 12 months revenues, about 100 grand, uh, it's about 50 grand in profit. And really, I really don't care about the month to month uh, profit. I'm really just trying to triple or quadruple the profit in 18 or 24 months in order to sell it for about a million dollars, partially because I want the exit. Um, and But mo more importantly, to get to the next phase of my career, which is buying like a three to $5 million business with an SBA loan, um, just having one successful seven figure business. And then this other side business that was doing kind of good until COVID hit is not enough. I, I got to take this business that I just bought um, and get and quadruple the profit. And then I can show investors that, hey, I'm the real deal. I wasn't a one hit wonder. I've done this twice already. One time I've done it completely on my own without a partner. And then they're more eager to invest. And ironically, when it comes, I don't know that much about brick and mortar, but when it comes to internet businesses, actually the bigger they are up to an extent, the easier they are to run because you can have better managers. You can have more people in place, more processes in place, you know, give them a couple books to read on traction, EOS, check in once a week, how are you guys doing and basically check out. 
But if you have a small business, like one of these 100, 200 grand businesses, like you can't hire like all these managers and writers and, and you have to like, I do the SEO myself. I do the writing myself. I do the videos myself. I do a lot of the management myself. Like you're, you're going to have to be doing it for a long time unless you either want no profit and also, um, uh, yeah, or, or either, either going to have, you're either going to have no profit, uh, or no time. You, you choose, you pick one. Right. But, um, there's just, there's just not enough money to hire all the people in place that, that you can just do the SOPs and check out. Right. So you kind of have to eat dirt for a little while and until, uh, until the business runs itself. But I, I've looked at these people that have these bigger internet businesses and it really does get easier. I think with brick and mortar, it's the opposite. It gets harder. I think with maybe not. I don't know. I, I don't. You're the brick and mortar guy. I don't, I don't yeah, know a lot I, about it. But I would say that from the brick and mortar, if you're buying anything under probably five five million in, in revenue, um, you know, anything smaller than that, you're probably buying yourself another job, um, just because there's not enough. Uh, Revenue, I mean, it depends on how profitable they are. But if you look at what a decent general manager makes in almost any market, you know, even in like Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is where I just moved from, uh, you know, you're probably talking about 80K a year. Well, it's really hard to pay that if you're only making 150 or something like that, if you buy too small of a business. So that $5 million mark is kind of anything uh, that or above, you typically have enough revenue to have your general manager in place. You have enough revenue to, uh, they've been around usually long enough that they've bypassed a lot of the things that fell in the first so many years. So if you look like my buying criteria is 5 million or more uh, in revenue and it been in business five years or more because you've got bypassed both uh, the failure rate of being too small or too young. And uh, usually they're starting to put systems processes in place and there's somebody there that's been there long enough that they can step up and be the GM or you have enough revenue to hire one in. So uh, it, you can't always, the other side of it, if it's smaller than that, when you really start looking at these companies, the owner that's sitting there is wearing three or four hats. And, you know, at least like a lot of people like you just use the seller's discretionary earnings, what he's paying himself to hire a new GM not necessarily true when he's carrying three hats. Nobody's going to come in there and pull 60, 80 hour weeks for what the guy's paying himself. Right. So yeah. uh, same thing. I do like what you brought up. I want to circle back a little bit because you did something in, uh, inside of that first conversation and then you minimize, minimalized it. And I, I think there's another point of view inside of there. You were talking about the acquisitions of the blogs and stuff being tiny, tiny, tiny. And I would say they're strategic. There's something to be said for buying your customer instead of paying for ads all the time. So you bought those blogs and you bought a can set of, you know, a generation tool of eyeballs. So um, I like to, to look at when I'm looking at industries and stuff, is there any YouTube, like I call, call them face, faceless YouTube channels. So they're not a talking head. It's not like mine. It'd be hard to buy mine because everybody kind of expects the mm -hmm. next video to have my face on it. Right. But it, there's a lot of faceless of YouTube yeah. channels out there that support an industry and they're cheap because you usually just about any other business, you buy things not on subscriber base, but on revenue base. Yeah. A lot of these guys never learn how to monetize their shows. So, yeah. you know, you I bought a YouTube channel as well. Yeah. yeah. It's it a great deal. I paid 1500 bucks for a YouTube channel that was doing say like $150 a month in advertising just from YouTube ads. YouTube shut 
the ads down a year later because yep. I wasn't uploading enough video. But the, the, the point is that, yeah, that was great. The only issue with buying YouTube and social media is, is first of all, technically it's not allowed, but that's not really that big a deal because, you know, when people buy businesses, it includes the social media all the time. The biggest issue with YouTube in specific is you can't 301 redirect YouTube videos, right? So if you're going to buy 10 different YouTube channels uh, in the, you know, how to buy and, and sell, you know, brick and mortar space, you're going to have 10 different YouTube channels. It's going to be very messy. But if you buy blogs, uh, you're buying the website itself. Uh, you, you, you have full control on what you want to do. So you can either... You can either choose to keep it separate and then buy a lot of these sites to just generate backlinks, etc. Or you can just roll the site up and just 301 redirect all the articles to your current WordPress and import them, which takes a little bit of work. Um, but that's a great way to juice up your initial website, right? Um, and so if you buy 10 websites, you're more than free to redirect all of them um, and get all the backlinks and all the SEO juice and everything um, back to your website. Now, it, for, it, that's just a little more complicated than that. If you did all of that at once, Google would be like, hey, what's going on? It would promote <laughs> you. But if you do it the right way, let's say there's a lot of different um, options you could take. You could keep some of them open just for the backlinks and things like that. Um, you know, you could have all of the websites uh, funnel into the same uh, um, email provider, uh, whatever, the same email list. Uh, there's lots of things you could do. Um, but yeah, this is, I think, a, a big opportunity because I think in most spaces, there's a lot of maybe not so much in the, the, the mergers and acquisition space. I think most people are in it for the money on that one. But uh, in lots of spaces, there's just a lot of people that are just fans and they just write or blog or do videos on certain topics with no real intention of monetizing it. And they build up a little call like mom and pop blogs, right? Like in the travel space, it's incredibly common to see people writing about, you know, how they managed to score all these, you know, like middle-class people who could never afford, you know, these five-star hotels or these, you know, long-distance first-class tickets on their own, how they did it on points, how they managed to, you know, get the kids in business class as well, et cetera, and they paid practically nothing. And they write about it, um, and they, you know, they just, a lot of them end up abandoning it, but they end up keeping some of the traffic. Like, you can reach out to those people and say, hey, you know, I, uh, I'm interested. And, and a lot of times, you know, there was one time I ended up with a great AccuHire. And I gave this guy a couple thousand bucks. And, well, he eventually quit. Um, but he, he also wrote great articles for our website as well. So you, you acquire the blog. They already like you because you're also giving them a, a freelance job. Um, and you get the best of both worlds, right? And you already you already know they're going to be a fantastic writer because they already have tons of experience uh, writing on exactly the topic or doing videos on exactly the topic uh, that you're looking on, which, by the way, is, we could do a whole separate podcast on that. <laughs> but one of the best places to find uh, employees, um, at least for internet businesses, for your space is your own email list and your own group of fans, Right. Because if you go on Upwork or any of these other sites, um, there's no substitute for people that are actually passionate about your niche. Right. So I think that's one place that people really overlook. Um, and yeah, that, that was an interesting strategy. Um, it's not it's not a game changer, but certainly, you know, um, 
really it'll happen by accident anyways, because if you're doing your own deal flow and you're having a VA do like a spreadsheet with like tons of different businesses, they're going to range all the way from no revenue or I don't know, a thousand a month, all the way to $10 million or hundred million, like the, the biggest, the biggest uh, players in the space is you, the VA is not going to really know the difference. They're just going to be sitting there and just plugging away at every single website and their contact info and so sometimes these smaller sites that aren't doing any revenue at all shouldn't be overlooked. Like you're just, you know, some of them have a big beat, the, the, the real jackpots in the email list, mm-hmm. right? If you find a website that's not doing any revenue, but they just happen to have a big email list, um, email converts so well uh, compared to every other medium. Um, but that's really, you know, that's really what you want to be looking for. And yeah, it's a, it's a good strategy. There's so many different strategies um, to, to growth hack your business. You know, another one is getting on a, a big YouTube channel or convincing a big influencer to work with you that has a lot of followers. And so then they can, you know, my chess business, we did exactly just that, right? There was already some people in the space with hundreds of thousands of YouTube followers um, to promote us and do some kind of, uh, we didn't even pay them. I, I forget exactly what their compensation was. Basically, um, we promoted on our website, whatever, and it was a totally lopsided deal. Um, they ended up, we like just from one YouTube video, I think we went from like 2000 subscribers to like 6,000 or something like that from a much bigger channel. So when you're, when you're just starting off, it's really, really hard to get momentum on these social media channels and, and get those first thousand, you know, the first thousand is the hardest. Um, it's way easier because I've done it all to go from 10,000 YouTube or Instagram followers to a hundred thousand than it is to go from zero to 3000. That's just the all like the hard, really hard grind. And so one way to hack that is to, you know, find some of these people to work with you. Awesome. That's great. So I know we've got really tight on time today and I want to cover one more topic before we go. Um, the, the last acquisition that you had, we're not going to uh, name it stuff, the sneaker business. That's an info product also. So they have three info products, like three eBooks, one of them, which is really popular. It's 400 pages. So it's not, it's not your typical eBook that you just charge $10 and it's just total garbage, but 80% of people don't ask for returns. It's so cheap. It's actually a good $50 eBook that like most people don't return, even though it's kind of mm-hmm. high price because it's really good. And then we have what's called a, in the sneaker world, they call it a cook group, which is basically a discord group that's connected to all these different websites and has a manager as well that's manually putting in all the deals so they can get these sneakers before everybody else. And the idea is very simple. They're all mostly kids between the ages of 14, 15 and like 22, 23 looking for a side hustle because they don't you know, want to work at McDonald's to, to make a thousand dollars a month. They, they'd much rather uh, resell these sneakers, right? So they can go hang out and party. That's their mentality. And so they're looking to buy 10 of these sneakers for a hundred bucks and then resell them on eBay for 220 bucks or whatever, and do this each month to make a little bit of money on the side. And so there's a lot of businesses that cater to them and they get all their information from these groups. And so most of the revenue or a little more than half of the revenue is uh, from this uh, cook group, uh, this discord group that we charge 40 bucks a month for. And it's a good business, very good model, very big industry. I, I, by the, I only own one pair of sneakers. I, I don't know anything about this world, but I'm, I'm learning about it quickly. I have a real estate portfolio and a lot of times uh, we bought houses right out of foreclosure and people would leave all kinds of stuff in them. They would, you know, or, you know, I get a rental back and it'd be full of stuff. And one of the guys that does cleanouts for me, he came up to me and said, Hey, uh, there's a bunch of sneakers in the closet. Mind if my, my son wants them. 
oh, uh, do they fit him? He's like, no, he's going to clean them up and resell them. All right. And uh, so I don't care, you know, take them, you know. It was going to go in the dumpster anyway. So the, the kid sent me a little thank you note later. He had sold, I think, 11 or 12 pairs. Of I guess there were some Air Jordans and stuff in there, some vintage. Yeah. That were oh, dusty, wow. but like, you know, and worn. But he cleaned them up. He actually put new laces in some of them and stuff. And, he, you know, he, he flipped tennis shoes. And I don't remember what the number was. It was less than two grand, but it was close to two grand. I think they made like eighteen hundred. Yeah, bucks. you, you got to remember these kids are all two grand for us is just is poopkies. But yeah. for these, for, for a sixteen year old kid, two grand is. I'm like gonna say he loved it. I'm gonna say I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't knocking the two grand at all for him. It yeah, was like, dude, yeah, thank yeah. you. I got these shoes for free, you know. And, yeah. and uh, so I don't know what the kids doing now, but I always encourage entrepreneurialism. And you'd be surprised at what people leave in some of the properties we have. I've, you know, it's funny as. Uh, I think some of my kids' bicycles and skateboards and other stuff are just that they just came from, you know, I've, I found guns in houses before and had to call and turn them in just because I didn't know if they were used in anything. But, uh, you know, so let's jump back. We'll go back to the sneaker resale business. You, you bought that business. Um, it was you, you did something in that that I, I do regularly. And before the show started, you said, yeah, we don't want to ever do that again. You mind talking about that now? Or is that a little sensitive? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I, I, I gotta be careful not to, you know, defame this person or anything. Uh, so I won't mention the name of the business or the name of the person, but they had, they had wanted to stay on the business at 40% and they were supposed to be the general manager. And uh, the biggest mistake I made is not necessarily keeping the old owner with equity. That's fine. It was letting them work in the business, right? Um, there was just so many problems right away. I'm never going to do that again. Um, there just seemed to be a lot of like alliances. The, the, the business had a surprising amount of freelancers, you know, mostly, you know, people in the Philippines, whatever, um, that, you know, we're all buddy, buddy. And, you know, I, I had to let some of these people go and that upset the old owner. And, and they really, the, the idea was, it's a very small business, right? It's only t- trailing, uh, 50 grand profit in like 12 months. Like it was never my idea to work on this full time. The idea was that that person was supposed to, but after a few weeks, it was pretty clear that they just didn't want to do anything. And we're just hoping I'm going to forex this business so they can get a much bigger exit down the line. And uh, I wasn't cool with that. You know, I'm like, well, if, you know, if I'm going to work 24 seven on this business, I'm, I'm not going to give you, you know, 40% of it when time comes to sell. So things got a little bit ugly. I had to spend a few thousand bucks on lawyers and and to show all the ways that they were breaching the contract. I'd originally tried to loosen up the contract um, a month in, but then another month went by and even the more loose contracts, they couldn't uh, perform on that either. And in the end, he just accepted, you know, an extra payment for the rest of the business. And and thankfully uh, things went smooth from there and we're cool now, but yeah, I, I don't think there's, you can necessarily, if someone else wants to keep a little bit of equity, whatever, just kind of crossing their fingers that, you know, maybe the business blows up, especially if it's a much bigger business than the one I bought. Um, there's no reason, you know, maybe it's part of the deal or earn out. There's nothing wrong with that. But having the old owner have any say in the business whatsoever is just an, going to be an absolute nightmare. Um, I learned that the hard way I was attracted to the deal because of the low multiple, um, 
But I really, you know, despite the fact that I ended up getting a fantastic deal on this business, I would have just preferred to pay more on a brokerage and not had had to have had the two and a half months of things getting ugly and having to get lawyers involved, especially for such a small deal. And, and you know, um, obviously my friendship with this person is toast. Um, but, you know, I, I, learned a, I learned a big lesson there. And I think the lesson is that most owners are going to feel that they're not selling for what they deserve, no matter how much they get, no matter how much it is, no matter what their goals is. And some of them will want to stay on and might promise you, oh, yeah, I'm still going to work on the business, et cetera. I would, I would really take that with a grain of salt. I think if people are ready to sell, most of the time, it's not just about, oh, I just want to buy a house or I just had another kid. A lot of the time, most of the time, they're just checked out. They're just ready to move on. You know, people are, at the end of the day, we're still kids, right? We want a new toy. So, you know, the old toy is getting boring. So they don't want to work on the business anymore. If you see the business has been declining and, and it hasn't been well run and the person's just kind of checked out, don't kid yourself if they're offering you a good multiple to partner up with you that suddenly the day that you sign that contract, that they're suddenly going to be a different person. And then you're going to be stuck with a terrible partner because really this, this whole deal could have ended up so much worse than it actually did. I was lucky that I managed to, to write up a very tight contract to, to keep the peace, to manage to, to get them out. Um, but if they had decided to, I don't know, take control of the website or refuse to leave. Like things could have gotten so much uglier than they did. And, and you know, this was not a major investment. It was a high five figure purchase price, right? It w- wouldn't have been the end of the world. But like, imagine if it was like a real a big deal with, let's say, a loan. Uh, thankfully, with SBA loan, they don't allow the old partner to stay. Um, that's probably why. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, that's probably why. Right? They've had too many bad experiences in it. Um, but if you are looking maybe with investors or something, buy a bigger business, like, I'd be okay with an earnout um, if they're really insistent. Maybe get leave them a little bit of passive equity. I still would. I, I I would say the best thing you can do with the business is just get the old owner out of any ties whatsoever after maybe a few month earnout, just for your own sanity right. and peace. Because it just it, most of the time it's not going to work out. And people have warned me it wasn't going to work out, but in the end, uh, it did work out in its in its own way. I ended up getting a good deal. But, you know, beyond money, um, you know, when, when these deals go south, um, uh, it's I, I lost tons of sleep. I, I couldn't sleep for a lot of days. I was like taking sleeping. I, I felt terrible. I didn't know what was coming next. Um, and it was a terrible. It was a terrible experience for that partner, too. Um, and it was really unfortunate. Um, but yeah. And, and if you are considering it, have the contract as tight as a fiddle. But even then, I mean, if someone has a contract and then they're not performing on it, well, at least you have the contract, but then you have to go through everything I went to, spending thousands of dollars on lawyers and to show them. And it's just not, don't do it. Don't let a good multiple attract you to that. Just tell that, or just offer them a little bit more money and you're way better off with that in the long run uh, for your own peace and your own sanity. So that's what I learned. And I'm not going to let that happen again for future deals. And thankfully it was a small deal anyway. So you know, it all worked out. So the other way around it, right, is buy a big business, business big enough that it's producing enough revenue that the company can pay for the attorneys to settle things out. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, you know, exactly. Like, uh, right. I, I agree. I, I think that if you if you have a previous owner around, um, 
you take most of the say away from them. You take you take 100% control. Even if you only take 60% ownership, you take 100% control, and then you tie performance t- uh, you know metrics to you know any other money that you can receive. Right? They get to you know keep their 40% if they perform at a certain level over a period of time. So I know we're short on time here, man. I want to I want to respect your time. You, you have a hard commitment to to get get to be somewhere else. So yeah. Uh, yeah. is there a, uh, the the one thing I like to end the show with every time is what can myself or the audience do to help you, man? I don't know. Sign up for my uh, concierge service at uh, pointspanda.com. If, uh, if you have over a 700 credit score and you live in the U.S. and you're not optimizing for these things, you're literally leaving thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars worth of hotel and airline stays on the table here. I mean, you can just basically have your vacation for free every year. And I teach people how to do that. You don't need to have an internet business that's spending uh, $20,000 a month, even though that, of course, that helps a lot. And you don't need to be a corporate frequent flyer who's, you know, jet setting every uh, minute. All you need to do is have a decent credit score and, you know, just follow the formula. And, and that's what I help people do. And yeah, I can, you can do that. And uh, if you want to uh, reach out to me, I'm on LinkedIn. The, the, the link is there. Or you can just reach out to me at Freddie with the Y, F-R-E-D-D-Y, at pointspanda.com. Awesome. Well, I appreciate having you on the show. I am going to uh, end the show right now so you can get where you need to go. Uh, thank you for there, uh, being here today. And that's the show, guys. All right. Thanks so much. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurial Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T-I-E-P-M pm.com and check out the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind